Hello, and welcome to the May episode of the EFPL podcast, your short story podcast with all your library updates, events, crafts, jokes, and more. This month, Laura and Misty have joined me once again to continue our disability awareness conversations, and this time we'll be discussing terminology. The words and phrases we have selected come from Emily Ladau's book, Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be an Ally. So be sure to join us for that amazing chat. But first, service updates. We will be closed on Monday, May 30th for the holiday. Other than that, we remain open to the public during our regular operating hours of Monday through Thursday from 9.30 a.m. to 7 p.m., Fridays from 9.30 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Saturdays from 9.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Our May displays are up and ready to be viewed. Stop in this month to take a look, and hopefully a book, from our displays both upstairs and downstairs. The themes are Back to Nature and Road Trip Reads for our upstairs display, and for our children's area downstairs, the themes are Get Caught Reading and Gardening Pests, Friend or Foe. Stuck on what to read next? Then sign up for a personalized reading list. Go to our website, and from the Use the Library drop-down menu at the top, select Personalized Reading List and answer a few questions. Then we will select some books we think you'll enjoy. And now it's time for upcoming events. Here are all the events and crafts just waiting for you at the library this month. All Ages Stronger Together Community Quilt Project Everyone in the community is invited to create a piece of fabric art to be added to our community quilt and to enjoy monthly quilt showcases and programming. Pick up a fabric square at the library. More information is available on our website. If you're interested in speaking, teaching a class, or displaying a quilt, please contact Rebecca at 608-882-2260. Used Book Donation Day Saturday, May 7th, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Used book donation days are back, along with a mini book sale in our conference room. Friends will look over your books and accept what they can for future sales. Reference books, textbooks, damage books, DVDs, CDs, and magazines, except quilting magazines, will not be accepted. Open Art Studio for Quilt Squares. Tuesday, May 24th, at 10 a.m. Feeling artistic? Decorate a quilt square for a community quilt project. Fabric paints, markers, crayons, etc. will be available to try out your artistic talents this month. All ages welcome, no quilting knowledge needed. Early Literacy and Story Times 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten It's never too early to start reading to the little in your life. Sign up for the 1,000 Books Challenge either in person at the library or online at www.1000books.org. Pick up a reading log with early literacy tips at the library today. In-Person Story Times Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Stories, songs, and other early literacy activities that help develop pre-reading skills for children ages 2 to 5 with their caregivers. Space is limited, so please call 608-882-2275 to register. School Age 
To celebrate Star Wars Day, May the 4th, we will have three, yes, three, Star Wars-themed take-and-make kits available. Because, like all good and not-so-good Star Wars movies, they come in a trilogy. So be sure to stop in the week of May 2nd to pick up a kit while supplies last, and may the Force be with you. Take-and-make, lightsaber bookmarks, available starting Monday, May 2nd. Order 66 has been executed. Which side will you choose? Stop in and pick up a mini lightsaber kit. Ten Rebellion and Ten Empire kits will be available while supplies last. Take and Make Baby Yoda Puppet Available starting Monday, May 2nd. A foundling has been spotted at the library and needs a home. Stop in and pick up one of these paper bag Baby Yoda or Grogu kits while supplies last. Take and Make Mandalorian Puppet Available starting Monday, May 2nd. Dad ain't easy even with Beskar armor. Help this father out and stop in to pick up a paper bag Mandalorian kit while supplies last, and may the Force be with you. Take and Make Kit Butterfly and Bee Windsocks Available starting Monday, May 23rd. Be ready for spring with these fun and cute windsocks. There will be 10 bee windsocks and 10 butterfly windsocks available, so you butterfly in and grab a kit while you can. Teens and tab updates. Paper Flowers Craft, in person, Thursday, May 5th at 4 p.m. Create a paper flower for Mother's Day or just someone special. To register, please call the library at 608-882-2260. Teen Advisory Board, Tab, and Cupcake Decorating, Friday, May 20th at 4 p.m. Catch up, hang out, and plan new teen library programs. Tab counts as volunteer hours and gives you the opportunity to suggest purchases and plan events that you'd like to see. This month, decorate a cupcake as we brainstorm. We may let you eat one, too. All teens welcome. Adults. Bookaholics. Wednesday, May 18th at 6.30 p.m. at Kaylee's Coffee and Wine Bar at 16 West Main Street. Books, new friends, wine. This is not your mother's book club. Hang out with us at Kaylee's Coffee and Wine Bar for a low-key but fun book club. Grab a copy of The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner available at Eager Free Public Library. We have books and audiobooks available, but you can read it on the Libby app, too. Mixed Bag Book Club, Thursday, May 19th at 10.30 a.m. This month, we'll be talking about mysteries. In order to participate, just read any old book that is a mystery. It can be a standalone or part of a series. Barn Quilts, with Carol Colbertson, Thursday, May 19th at 6 p.m. Learn about the history of barn quilts and the ones in our area. To register, please call the library at 608-882-2260. I would like to add a quick content warning for the following conversation. Since we are discussing outdated terminologies, the R word does come up, so please be aware while listening. Thank you. This month we will be continuing our disability awareness conversations with Laura and Misty, and this time we will be focusing on language and terminology. We will be referencing Emily Ladau's book, 
Demystifying Disability, What to Know, What to Say, and How to Be, how to be an Ally, available for, available for checkout at the Eager Free Public Library. And it's a really good book, and I highly recommend it. Uh, so there's the chapter that covers what to say with a table of say this, not that. Uh, we won't be covering all the terms she has listed, but just a few that uh, our guests have selected. Um, and before we get started, I will kind of paraphrase what Emily writes in her book, and that's basically if you're unsure what a person prefers, ask them. Um, so today we will begin with Misty. Welcome back, Misty, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, glad to be here. Awesome. So like I said, not everything from this chart, but one of the first things that she has here is the say this, uh, disability slash disabled or a person with disability or a disabled person, but not this, differently abled, unless preferred, and handy capable. So we'll start with this set. What are your thoughts, Misty? So I guess my um, optimistic assumption is that these words, the differently abled and handy capable, were designed to be more like inclusive and maybe kind, but I'm not sure they ever actually functioned that way. Um, they were pretty quickly picked up in the media. I remember one of the first times I heard handy capable was in the movie Saved. And it was used kind of like, um, I mean, the character used it sincerely, but the character was a, like a, a caricature. So the perception was like, this is a silly thing to say, or this is like not something a normal person would say. And I think it's, it's just kind of trying to downplay an aspect that is part of our lives. And regardless of what step of acceptance we're on, downplaying it is not helpful or appropriate. Laura, what is, what's your take on these words? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I personally hate them. There might be some people who find them more appealing uh, because of, of their soft heartedness, I suppose. But the thing is, I feel like these words were put in place to try and make uh, you know, try and make it feel good, except I don't know who it's trying to make feel good the disabled person or the, the person interacting with the disabled person. And so most of the time in the context that I have personally experienced these words, it has been the latter. It just, it makes it easier for the non-disabled person to talk about, to swallow. And I don't know, maybe that's a good thing if it brings them to the table, but it's, it reminds me of the whole term inspiration porn, you know, like we're, our purpose is to make you feel better about your life. And that's, that's how these words land for me. Um, obviously context is important. I don't think everyone's ill-meaning or self-serving when they use them, but they are generally patronizing and I feel we would be better off without them. Um, plus they take the stance of making disability or disabled a dirty word and it's not. It's right. just a word and it's an accurate descriptor and we don't mind it. So why should you? I was just going to ask that if you guys think that, that there's a, a stigma, I guess, around the word disabled 
or disability where able-bodied people are just like, oh, I don't know. Can I say that? Can I say it? You know? Yes, there is. It's actually kind of funny when that happens. <laughs> Can mm -hmm. I say that word? Is that okay? It's not the R word. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and you know, that's the appropriate question. If you're brand new to interacting with disabled people and you don't know what term to use, just ask. Yeah, no and problem. And I doubt with that. you will hear handy capable as the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another set of kind of not this has been on the list was special needs or special, what was the other, special ed, unless preferred. And I also just want to say that we're not here today saying like, absolutely say this and absolutely don't say that. We're just having a conversation around these terminologies and just getting some perspective uh, on them. So with that said, Misty, uh, any issues with special needs or special eds? Again, unless preferred. Um, I don't have issues with these words, but I know that they, like when I was in high school, they were, they were used as insulting. Um, it's like uh, a joke for people who weren't in special education, like, oh, you should be in special education. But my son is, and he just calls it sped. And I asked him if he's ever been picked on for it. And he's like, no, I'm just in special education. So it doesn't seem to be a big deal to him. So it doesn't bother me. And I hope that it remains that way so that we don't have to constantly change that term too. Fair enough. Laura? Um, you know, on face value, it's a little patronizing, similar to differently abled and handy capable. However, um, it does, the whole special needs thing does apply to special education. Like that's the language that they use within the school system. And when I was growing up, it was definitely a, you know, a stigmatized thing. If you were in special education, you were treated horribly. And for a while I was in the special education room because they, you know, when you first have a disabled student come in, um, they don't know where you fit in just yet. And the assumption is you start there until you prove otherwise. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, I enjoyed being in the room because I got to goof around a lot more and I, I got to help other kids who genuinely needed help with their schoolwork, but I was bored. So, you know, growing up, I really, really, really hated the whole special education term and special needs, but I've, I've come around as a parent of a disabled child to accept it for the good that it does. And I like the the abbreviation SPED. I think that's mm. cool. <laughs> like, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this one a pass. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I think I had read something somewhere that like with special needs, you know, it's it, it's been a while and I'm this may end up getting cut if I can't phrase it <laughs> the way it was the way I had read it. But just that like you know, disabled people, their needs are the same as anybody else's, any able-bodied person. And to make accessibility special kind of when everyone else can have, you know, has access to these things. I think that was kind of, that was more or less what I was kind of taken away from, I don't know, that tweet or random comment I had read somewhere, I think. And yeah. I just, it just kind of made me wonder. And I'm like, because I never really thought of it that way either so 
that's why and I thought it was interesting that it was also included on this list as well so um yeah yeah like I said it's one of those gray area terms like it has been helpful within the education system but generally speaking when I see it I still (laughs) I still think of Ralph Wiggum saying I'm special you know (laughs) just like oh no we don't want that but (laughs) I think when used in the right environment it is helpful so we shouldn't be so quick to shun it like some of the other words you might see on this list all right fair enough all right the next set um is the not say high functioning and low functioning um the chart indicates you should say person who is able to person who is unable to or even a person with high support needs thoughts on on that misty um i was surprised to see this one on the list and i'm actually gonna pass to laura to see what she has to say about it because i'm curious why that might be offensive i was not surprised to see this on the list high functioning low functioning from a medical standpoint it is very clear uh, that they're categorization terms and that might help in terms of diagnosis and determining further needs in, in, as far as medical assistance um, and by extension, you know, educational assistance, things like that. But to just flippantly use those in other spheres, and I can see where this is especially harmful in the employment spec- um, uh, sector, for example. Uh, so high functioning implies that there's not enough wrong with you. (laughs) And not saying again that disability is wrong because it isn't, it's just a fact of life. But that is how it is viewed from a a able-bodied neurotypical perspective. You're high functioning, so you're not that disabled, so you don't need help ever. And and, And since you don't need help ever, or at least under normal circumstances and normal in quotes, um, Uh, then you shouldn't need help if something changes or if you have like a bad day with your disabilities or your health conditions. And the thing with that is like from a cerebral palsy perspective, my cerebral palsy is considered mild and therefore I am considered high functioning. But that is not to say that I don't need help That is not to say that I don't need accommodations. And it's not even to say that that's accurate. It just means that I can can mask and I can mitigate a lot of the things that I struggle with on a daily basis very well. So, you know, high functioning can often mean that you just don't have the support when you need it because of how you present. It might not even be accurate in terms of what actually is going on. Conversely, on the low functioning side, you're verging on the R word. (laughs) You are insinuating that these people, whether it's intellectual, developmental, physical, whatever, aren't capable of anything. They're not functional people. So there's a lot of implication here when this is thrown out, again, just in regular conversation or in the employment sector specifically because, um, Social security benefits, for example, define a person as disabled or not based upon employability and ability to work. According to 
social security, I'm high functioning, I am not disabled enough for them anyway. So yeah, there's a lot of implications here. This outside of the medical perspective, these terms are very capable of causing damage and they often do. A um, couple questions. So with the uh, high functioning aspect, you said that it, it can lead to like not having the support that you need. Do you think that that's because you're capable of masking symptoms and and like doing things for yourself most of the time? Or do you think that's actually a result of the language? Um, it's both. I mean, the language has the implication of what one is observing. So people have expectations attached to these words. And yes, it is harder for me to get support when I need it because I normally don't need it to the extent that some of my peers do. But there are days where I definitely need it. <laughs> And but it's also an internal struggle. Like it's not just externally, I can't get the support. I can't convince you that I'm disabled enough in this moment that I need help. It's I have to struggle now with the fact that I have viewed myself as high functioning because I have been labeled with that by so many people in so many different areas of my life for so long that when I deviate from that, from my own personal identification and expectations, I struggle with it. Um, so not saying it's harder for me to ask because I've, I've gained some humbleness over the years, I suppose. But I struggle with the perception change that my asking causes. You know, okay. Are they now doubting my ability to do my job on a daily basis? Are they now doubting my ability to... to uh, just do random stuff with friend groups because I couldn't do this one thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, maybe not in a physical standpoint, but like emotionally, people don't want to break down emotionally because then like, well, they're going to think that I'm always just a mess and I'm always needing so much help. So yeah, I totally get that. Um, but then what, what do you prefer? I prefer to just not talk about how well, I function. I don't. I don't think it's relevant. Um, because you know okay, what? So, fine. So if you wanted to, if you wanted to nitpick, like, okay, you could argue that I'm high functioning because I can walk, but then you could say I'm low functioning because in winter I can't walk on the snow or the ice. So, yeah. you know, um, like I don't want to label my abilities when I have them and when I don't and all that stuff because. I don't know, for me, that kind of feels like I'm, I'm trapping myself almost. Like I can never go outside of these boundaries that have put, been put in place by labeling and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I do, what do I have? Do I have an identity crisis? Do my friends have an identity crisis about me? Like how, how you know, what's the implication here? Like, you know, um, I think just, I think we should just move away from these labels, generally speaking, unless they are medically or like educationally appropriate in terms of de designing programming for a disabled person. Um, outside of that, um, I don't wanna talk about how high or low functioning I am on a given day, just like nobody else would. Like 
say, uh, you know, Jen was having a, a really bad day and she wasn't feeling well. Does that make her low functioning that day? Uh, you know, See, I would say like, yes. Do, do we do that for everyone then? Or do we do that for no one? I, I get that we don't use the same terms. But I, you know, I feel like if Jen had a cold, she might say like, oh, I'm just really wiped out today and I'm sick. And those two terms are boxes that she puts herself in for just a day mm -hmm. or a few to say, this is my physical status. And I'm yeah. not, I, I'm not sure. Like I get your like personal feeling of like my internal dialogue is a problem, but like, but I, I do think boxes and categories are, are useful um, in conversation. Like, let's say that Jen was speaking with, I don't know, a potential fourth for this podcast. And so she had your permission to, to speak a little bit about disability. If she told this person like, oh, well, so there's Laura and she has CP and she's high functioning. Would you find that offensive or like, would that be a problem as a descriptor of you? Yeah, it's a problem. Okay. I don't think, now, in this context, do I think it was meant to be malicious in any way, shape, or form? No. Yeah, intention but, matters. But what qualifications does Jen have to determine whether I'm high-functioning or not? And what does she mean when she communicates that? Like, why, why is that important? Again, it's not just the high and low categories here that are the problem. It is the word functioning. Uh, I see. It, it implies... It implies a baseline. It implies that this is the norm for this person. Like if we go back to the example of Jen having a cold and being sick and you know feeling wiped out that day, that's temporarily low functioning, sure. But we don't label it as low functioning because it sounds more permanent. But also again, okay. functioning implies that there is value here, especially with the high and low labels attached to them, that there is value here on what a person is capable of, what a person can do and is doing in a moment. And that's what makes them worthwhile as a person. And I, I just, I don't think that we're ever going to be able to properly advocate for disabled inclusion the way that we want it to be if we continue to label ourselves this way, because we're inviting that discrimination. Okay, I can understand that. Um, so then like my biggest question once I saw those on the list was like, okay, if these are, if these terms are a problem, I don't understand why, but if they're a problem, then what's the alternative? Um, so if we look at the, the other end of the, pers uh, of the spectrum, let's say you have a parent who has a child who has been diagnosed with uh, like low functioning autism. And they want to share their experience in like, you know, two or three minutes with someone to just say like, this is a big part of my life. This is what I go through. Should they not use the term low functioning? Like, do they, what do they say? Like nonverbal can't walk file or like, do they have to describe all the symptoms? <laughs> no, I wouldn't advocate for that too, unless you wanted to. But again, if a person is describing themselves, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother kettle of fish because we have control over what we intend to communicate with these terms. But when someone else is communicating on our behalf or we're being talked about in this manner, in a non-medical way, then that's where the damage can be done because then we're taking the person who's speaking 
it's their perception of what high functioning and low functioning means, not just for that person, but maybe in general as well, where it can cause problems. And it also brings to question what that person places value on within those things. Like, is it really just meant as a descriptor? Like, hey, uh, you know, just be, be mindful, be aware, be respectful of the fact that this person is this way? Or is it like, I think, I think Laura's cool because she's high functioning and she can do all these cool things. You know, you know what I mean? We don't know. And that's where potential harm can happen because the message that was intended might not be the message that's getting across. As mm -hmm. far as what you say, what an alternative is, I think where reasonable these, these terms of person who is able to do this, person who is unable to do that works. But if you're going to get into the, you're right, it gets a little exhausting labeling different capabilities so there's there's two caveats here like say it's situational for example like uh, a, a group of people want to get together and they're like hey you think we should invite laura to go rollerblading with us well no <laughs> i'm unable to rollerblade but um so that situationally that works but generally speaking i don't see why outside of contextual questions we need to talk about what we're able to do and what we're not um i think there is need though uh like friends of disabled people parents siblings so you know you and i have experience of someone with autism who mm -hmm. is high functioning low end of the spectrum it's very different from the experience of a parent with someone on the autism spectrum higher up or lower functioning, and without using those words, higher spectrum or lower functioning, how can they quickly and easily convey, like, this is my experience, this is my son's disability? Uh, autism, I guess, is my specific uh, issue I have with this because a lot of illnesses can be easily boxed or imagined or categorized, but autism is such a huge spectrum. If you're not referring to that spectrum or levels of functionality, how else do you define it? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, I suppose. Okay. Uh, why do you need to define it? Um, well, I know, I know a father of a autistic child, and he's a single father, and it's just like 90% of his life is this child. Mm -hmm. You know, it, with a severely autistic child who needs 100% attention, all the time, it's just such a different experience from us. Just saying, I have a child with autism doesn't quite say it. Doesn't quite say what though? It, it doesn't say, you know, like if you say, oh, I have a child who's in a university, that kind of, it defines what your life is like, a little bit about their life is like, you know, you're putting it in boxes. Sure, you don't have the whole story, but it's a concise way of describing someone's situation. Yeah, but it's also a concise way of oversimplifying that situation and it's it's putting it's putting I don't know how I want to word this. It's it's putting too much emphasis on someone's disability as a part of their identity without their consent or their presence. Mm -hmm. Um and I don't like 
I am firmly in the camp of my disability is part of my identity. Don't pretend you don't see it. Like, come on, we all see it. I've seen myself <laughs> on camera. <laughs> um, but I want to have a say in when that matters, in how much that matters, in why that matters. And, you know, I get that when you're describing your different parental situations to each other, you know, as like, I'm, I'm bonding over the fact that we're both parents of, of people with disabilities, or we're, we're both parents, and we have people with disabilities in our lives. However, that perspective is, that's, I totally get where you're, where you're coming from with that, that bonding experience. But why does it have to be, I need to say this in a single sentence. And even then, even then, their idea of high functioning and your idea of high functioning are probably not the same because do you get when you get your diagnosis of autism do you get like a little visual slider of where you are on the scale do you get a then do you get a like a, a, a like a, a little card of information like because you're on this part of the scale you have this 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 and this but you can do this 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 and this it's not that simple I mean even with my son okay uh sure if we want to use these terms as an example generally speaking you might consider him high functioning just looking at him why because he can run around he can talk he can spend time in the normal classroom he learns but I would not label him as such at all. And this week was an excellent example of that. He could not in the slightest handle his emotions this week. I've got no idea as to why, but you know, um, it can be rough. Like he'd be considered high functioning. Sure. Okay. But how high functioning is it on a social scale um, from a social life capacity here? if I get punched by my son, because it happened twice this week, like that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big problem. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it's one that we're working through. We've, we've got psychiatrists and psychologists involved. We got behavioral plans involved. We're, you know, adjusting medication. We're working with the school, you know, everything to try and give him the best possible, uh, boundaries, and situations and circumstances to work in, but he still has those days where, you know, he's emotionally overwhelmed and is somewhat dangerous because of that. Mm -hmm. So I can't, I can't just go and label him high functioning just because a medical test says he is. It, right. I don't think it's that simple and I would never describe him that way. Okay. Um, I wouldn't even, I, I, I only described myself this way for the sake of illustrating these terms. I wouldn't even describe myself that way. I especially hate it on the terms of physical disability, because like you said, saying, saying you have a, a child with autism or an autistic child, uh, it doesn't quite convey everything. Neither does saying I have cerebral palsy or right. I have a child with cerebral palsy, because I can guarantee you the majority of people who hear that will immediately visualize one of two things a person in a wheelchair or a person walking with crutches i fit neither of those demographics right so it's never you're never going to completely convey 
the, the nuances of a particular individual's disability, especially with a spectrum term or an umbrella term, because cerebral palsy is one as well. Yeah, so, um, but you're kind of making my point, you know, I said that like just saying a child with autism doesn't say it. Just saying someone with CP doesn't say it, but if I said someone with CP who is high functioning, how, what that, does that mean? It, it gives a better image, I would say. Um, I mean, it it's, it's not perfect. It's not, a, right. it's, not, it's not all the details. It's never going to be, but it's a term that, that kind of trims down the mental image and the options. Um, well, it does, but I, I, you know, first there's the ambiguity. Like I said, what does that really mean? But mm-hmm. more importantly, again, it emphasizes a value of one over the other. And that's, that's not fair to people who wouldn't be considered high or low. It's not even fair to the people, you know, it's not fair to the people who would be considered high functioning either. Maybe you're placing unrealistic expectations on them. Mm-hmm. I, I just think while these terms will help you quickly communicate, perhaps an adjusted perspective, they're not good enough to, to use without harm. And it's not that you intend harm at all. I know that you don't. Mm-hmm. But say I, if I was in HR and I had, you know, two applicants who had um, autism, let's say. Uh, why do I bring autism up? It's Autism Awareness Month, but also there is actually a tech employer now who's developing a hiring program specifically for autistic individuals, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. Because um, some, of, some of the things that I've seen with working with people in tech who also identify as autistic people, um, their pattern recognition skills and stuff, they're, they're just phenomenal at that. It, it's very, it, it's, it's amazing to see they can go through like security alerts and find the problem they're so much faster than, than the average person. It's awesome. I love it. Um, and, you know, uh, one particular individual was really proud of themselves for that fact, too. You know, like this was a positive aspect of their identity. It was it was just really amazing to see. So I'm just absolutely blown away that, you know, an entire company recognized this as a potential uh, strength for them and are acting accordingly on it. But then, OK, say you're an HR director and you get one that's high functioning and one that's low functioning. Again, what does that mean? But also, if I'm being ableist, I'm going to go, ooh, high functioning, yeah. What is that? I don't want to I mean, do like, that. Okay, so I'm starting to see your point because that's not the sort of thing I would ever put on a resume. No. Like, that's not an identifier that I would but want. But that's what you're doing right. verbally when you identify them that way. Right. Um. So like... Most of these terms that we're talking about, it's like, if you're not sure, ask, or if you're offended, don't use that term, even if you don't understand why. I think my big issue with this one is that some of the people being referred to as low functioning don't have that option. They can't understand or can't communicate their preferences on that term. And so it's mostly being used by their caregivers. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm like, well, if it's like, if it's a caregiver term to just define the person that they're caring for and like 
how their illness may be different from the preconception when you hear the term of their illness. Is that bad or wrong? So I think, I think the conclusion is most of the time, yes. That's what it seems like. Um, yeah. And maybe sometimes that's just the you know, quick and dirty way to say it if you don't have time to explain. Yeah, I would say handle with extreme caution <laughs> and try not to use these unless you absolutely have to. And from a medical perspective, there are times where yeah. these are used and medically speaking, that's okay. But I mean, yeah. if we're talking medical terms, like they used to have labels for different, different IQ ranges, you mm-hmm. know, um, and we don't use those labels anymore. So I think this is one of those things that's just going to age itself out. And I don't know what it's going to look like going forward, but I think there are better ways to address this. And, you know, as an example, like, again, on the autism front, someone who's considered low functioning may just not do well in social situations at all. Like they can't handle it. But if you get them, like if you're an employer, you get them working in an environment that's comfortable for them and they're really, really good at what they do, then, um, why wouldn't you want them on your team? You would just handle them differently. Yeah. Very good. Wow. Very, very interesting. That was kind of, I, I enjoyed watching the back and forth and listening to that because I think, again, that's just kind of points to the ever-changing landscape of the language and also, again, what the preferences are. You know, some folks have a bit more issue with some of these terms than other folks. And I just, I just, I think it's interesting. And I feel like I've learned a lot right now, just with the high functioning versus low functioning. So, because mm-hmm. I'd kind of heard little bits of the arguments on either side, but this was very, very helpful for me. So thank you, ladies. Uh, we'll go ahead and um, I know Misty had a, a story that she wanted to share regarding one of the terms on this list uh, being that the term on the list is mentally retarded. I'm not comfortable with that word and, but I thought I'd be a big girl and say it. Um, and then I figured we can maybe kind of wrap it up with uh, what you got, what your lady's thoughts are on reclaiming some words, maybe not all the words on this list or any of the words we talked about today, but you know, the the power that's maybe behind that. So, um, Missy, if you would like to go ahead and share your, your story, your anecdote or what you Right. Hear. So when I was younger, I think I must have been in middle school. Um, my, my mom, who's been a nurse since before I was born, uh, told me that when she started working, the, the term was the R word, retarded. And really it's, it was just a medical term and it's even still a musical term. It just means slow. It means they're not hitting their normal milestone. She's a pediatric nurse. If, if a baby doesn't make eye contact, roll over, walk, babble, do any of those baby milestones in the right timing, they were labeled retarded, slower. And then she said, well, then that term started to become an insult. And so then the next term was, uh, uh, yeah, I think slow was the next one that they used. And that was just like really brief in the medical community because it became an insult very quickly. Um, and then there was a uh, mentally handicapped, 
And then that too went out of phase. And then she was like, and now the term is delayed, which is just a word that means exactly the same thing, but they haven't used it as an insult yet. So don't tell anyone or they'll start using it as an insult. (laughs) So, I mean, just in my lifetime, the term has changed four times. And the only reason behind the medical term changing is because the media and just people in general use these medical terms to be an insult or a joke. And so the medical community can no longer use them. When we took my son to the Wiseman Center to be diagnosed with autism, they have like all of their um, newspapers and articles and stuff hanging up on the wall. And it used to be called the Wiseman Center for Retarded Children. And so all these newspapers are using that term. And like, that was just the medical term of the day, but now it sounds so bad. Like who would bring their kids to the the Wiseman Center for Retarded Children? That's terrible. But I think the moral of that story is one, don't use medical terms as an insult. I just, it just makes the language constantly change. And if you're confused at how complicated all the, the terminology is around this, that's a big factor in why. Don't use these terms as insults or jokes. Um, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> you want to comment having, on that? And then I have another I'm story. Having, I'm having trouble getting over the Wiseman Center for Retarded Children. Yep. Like, wow. <laughs> I'm just imagining that in big letters on the outside of a building, you know? It and, was there. <laughs> and I just, like, you never, ever see that now. Like, no. I, rem- like I, I remember growing up and, and retard was the insult of choice. Like, mm-hmm. instead of calling someone stupid or something they did stupid, like, oh, my God, that's retarded. And mm-hmm. and you just go on with your day. And, like, I'm disabled and I was saying it flippantly. Like, kids don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, from a kid perspective, we just thought it meant stupid. And kind of the same thing, you know, like, people interchange the words now. Like, on the subject of stupid from a medical perspective, like, again, I mentioned the IQ ranges not too long ago. Uh, based on whatever range you were at, like you could be medically labeled a moron, or if you your IQ was significantly low, an idiot. And those were medical terms too, but they're quite obviously insults. And interestingly, they don't get treated like like retard does now. Um, like, why is an idiot the I word? Like, it's yeah. a really like if you look at the IQ ranges, it's a really mean thing to call someone. Like, morons mm. kind of like. Eh, but idiots idiots brutal Mm. and you know I don't even think we use it with the significance that it once had um in terms of that so it's interesting you're right every time a medical term comes out to uh describe uh less than ideal condition whether it's temporary or not it eventually becomes an insult and I think you could argue that for like all the words on this list. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's a problem. Um, we had an issue in our house with the word stupid because my son has autism, but he is not uh, intellectually delayed or disabled at all. Um, but when you have someone who has autism and is socially awkward, kids, people in general, but especially kids, might assume that he has an intellectual disability. So the word stupid can bear a lot of weight. And uh, his twin sister had never considered that. And she was 
throwing that word around the house and at him. Like he was looking for his shoes. What are you stupid? And I'm like, <laughs> and so we, you know, we didn't want to embarrass her. She's very sensitive. So we waited until they got home and Kathy, you know, that word is a little more meaningful than I think you mean. We know you don't think your brother is stupid. Don't call him that. Or he might think that because he trusts you a lot. And, and so it's, you know, it's just one of those things that it's like, you have to be really careful with your words because it can affect how people think about themselves. Yeah, you're right. I think the word stupid can generally do more harm than a swear word can yeah. when, used, when used accordingly. Um, however, it is still a very apt way to describe something that is done that shouldn't have been done. That's like, true. <laughs> I have caught myself saying to my kids, you know, that was a really stupid thing to do, but right. we're going to we're, we're going to learn from this. Yeah. Know? And that's different from saying, are you stupid or you are stupid? I think yes. uh, that word in particular should not be applied to a person. It can be applied to an act. Yeah, sure. fair enough. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned mentally handicapped. Did um, I say that? You know, yeah. I, you, you were through the progression of uh, retard oh. to slow to that's funny mentally handicapped to delayed. I'm trying to change my my mental wording to uh, like mentally disabled, not handicapped, because apparently people have some issues with that word. But that's another one I don't understand. So (laughs) inform me. (laughs) Well, I think some of it's a misunderstanding of of the origin of it. Like um, people assume that it came from the phrase cap in hand, like you have to beg for things. And that's not actually correct. It came from the term hand and cap, which was the name of a game that used to be played where everyone had an equal chance of winning. And then that got applied to sports like horse racing. You would handicap the faster horses by adding weight to them um, to make it a fair race. Uh, So, you know, all in all, it was meant to be a fairness thing. But then it started being used, I think, around like the early 1900s as um, a term specifically for disabled people and always in a competitive sense. So I've read the phrases like handicapped in the struggle of existence. Like how much is wrong with that? Huh. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> and it's, it almost means the opposite of fair. Right. You know, like, oh, does that mean we're, we're weighing down the able-bodied and the neurotypical with, with more responsibilities and, and expectations so that it's fair for us? No, it's the other way around. So I, I still don't quite understand how it got flipped like that. But because it got flipped like that and because it's used competitively, it, it's, it's become outdated and, and a, a little derogatory. Um, but then you still see the word handicap when you're playing golf. So it's like right. you still see it ref- uh, as reference to parking. And I seem to accept it in terms of parking and nowhere else. It's well, one of those it, ones where I don't know how to treat this one. I, I don't hmm. know. Like, yeah, with handicap parking, it fits because it's making the parking more fair for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. And and like other people can't use those spots. So they're having weight added. Yeah, <laughs> they're so having walk being, added. When it's being used in the way that it's actually meant in other contexts, like golf, you know, um, then I don't have a problem with it. But when people use it 
any other way, yeah, it 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 can be a problem because I again you you talked about terms being an insult. Well, yeah. I've I've seen this used as an insult. Hmm. So yeah, see that's one like for me mentally, handicapped and disabled are right on par in my head. That they're they mean the same thing. They're equally inoffensive. Um, ah. So that, that's why I was surprised to see that that's not the case for some people. See, they don't mean the same thing to me, but that's also because I actually like know what the word was supposed to be used for back in the day kind of thing and how it is still used for in, in other contexts. Again, golf comes to mind because my husband plays golf and it's yeah. literally on the card, handicap. You put your stroke number in there, right? So but you add so, points when you handicap in golf because you're trying to get a low score. Is that how that works? So, um, yeah, the better, the better player in the group adds strokes to their start starting point. So they start off in a more negative position because they'll probably make it up and beyond. I think it gives those how this evolves is, is, is giving the worst player in the group a better chance. Yeah. So the, the better player is handicapped. Therefore, things are made harder for them. So yeah. I am handicapped. Things are harder for me. Things I, have been made harder for me. <laughs> Why? Because if I wasn't disabled, I'd be some like mega evil genius billionaire person. <laughs> yeah. You, know, you had to be, be nerfed. You were overpowered. Already. I don't know. <laughs> Bond villain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My husband has joked that I was too smart, so I had to be physically nerfed down. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, yeah, I've heard that joke. <laughs> yeah, that leads right into reclaiming things, right? Like, yeah, yeah, sure does. Yeah, yeah. it's like we planned this. <laughs> um, okay, so there are words on this list for physically disabled specifically. It's my favorite section because I'm physically <laughs> disabled, but also because every single one of those words except for invalid I've used. <laughs> to describe myself. Mm -hmm. I have also used them to educate people on when you should use them and when you shouldn't. Can you read the list? Um, so we have uh, cripple, gimp, invalid, and spaz. And there are actually others that aren't on there, but this, this is fine. Um, <laughs> I call myself a cripple when I refer to myself like and again, I'm not being, I know. <laughs> like all the time. <laughs> I'm not being mean to myself. It's no. just, you were talking earlier about a succinct way to describe someone's situation. That's the word that does it for me. <laughs> uh, nope, can't do that. I'm crippled. <laughs> See, language is so funny because this is also a medical term that turned to an insult, but now it's funny. Now See, it's not so insulting. Down, Jenna. I'm crippled. I need to walk. <laughs> you want to be treated fairly. Come on. No. <laughs> you can still hear me. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So cripple for me is a term of empowerment. And, you know, like I've used it in social contexts to describe myself and also avoid more awkward, long-winded conversations. Like I am not embarrassed to admit that when I was single, I used dating apps. Um, that's actually how I met my husband. So I met my husband. My bio oh. literally said, I'm crippled. Deal with it. <laughs> you know what? It, fil it filtered out a lot of problems <laughs> <laughs> i suppose <laughs> yeah it, it just 
it just works for me. And I'm glad that I can use that word. Does that mean that I want everyone to go throwing it around? No, because I think intent matters. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is about taking ownership of, of the things that have been used to uh, hold us down and, and, you know, treat us poorly. Um, and I love that I am a part of, of taking that power out of that word. I wish I could do it words but I don't think I have the ability to make the R word okay <laughs> no that one's long gone I, I'm, I'm not even gonna try so we're not like there's some that are just not touchable anymore and we need to accept mm-hmm. that but like I have no issue with the word cripple and you know conversely like I can see why people would because you know like oh you're being mean to yourself because they still see it as an insult but I'm mm-hmm. not insulting myself Uh, this is a part of my identity and this is how I choose to identify it. Um, And that that's, that's my prerogative. That doesn't mean that you need to be comfortable with saying the word cripple or you need to be comfortable with describing yourself with any of these words. This is, this is just how I feel about it. And I feel better. I feel more relaxed when I can call myself a cripple and y'all can laugh about it. Honestly. (laughs) Um, as far as spaz goes on this list, I've seen people use that to describe themselves when they're like having an off day and they're just not doing anything right. You can see why that's a problem. But then I, I had a real like eye-opening experience when I went over to Denmark because um, that was the pre- preferred term for the physically disabled when describing themselves instead of cripple. Like, they just described themselves as spaz. And I, I was like, wow, after, you know, at first I, you know, I was taken aback, but then I'm like, wow, this is awesome. I can call myself <laughs> fast. <laughs> and I, I really started going with it, you know, but I still, I don't, I don't know. I cripple rolls off the tongue better for me. So I'm just going to stick with that. Um, yeah. I, I have like, actual muscle spasms. And so on days when they're really bad, I call myself a spaz. I do too. And that seems like a very apt reason to use that word, but I still stick with cripple I don't know like maybe maybe I, I should work spaz in a little more <laughs> but from from the gimp side of things I mean I've had cultural confusion over that word because of movies that feature gimps that have nothing to do with this sphere mm-hmm. but you know in the actual meaning of the word if you look it up it refers to specifically um your gait mm-hmm. so if you walk with a limp you're a gimp Yep. Hey, that, that rhymes. Cool. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. Um, and you know, I've had, I've had, um, again, people use that term to describe like, Oh, I'm such a gimp today. Cause I'm so sore after that workout. Like, no, <laughs> no, that's not what that means. That'll go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, at the same time, like, I don't know. I just made a really cool little rhyme there unintentionally. Maybe <laughs> I should use this more. I don't, it's just fun. But the one word I don't ever want to touch other than the R word is invalid. Like, look mm-hmm. at it. It's, it's exactly the same as invalid. Can we not see why this is a problem? Um, yeah. The whole thing about being disabled um, is that we are often seen as less than human or subhuman or not worth anything because we can't produce like an able-bodied neurotypical person or we can't uh, participate like an able-bodied neurotypical person 
Um, so yeah, invalid really sums that up succinctly, yeah. and it's just all kinds of wrong. I think it should like okay, idiot isn't an I word, but in, invalid should be. I, I I don't I don't ever want to see anyone use that word. I, mm-hmm. I want that one to go away. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Misty? No, I completely agree about invalid. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but the other ones I totally understand reclaiming. Um, my my parents were both uh, injured and I had were forced into retirement in their early fifties, and so it was my dad first, and he called himself a gimp after a knee replacement, and and he does still limp. It's permanent, and it's He's had five knee replacements now. Yeah. You only have two knees. How do you get five knee replacements? (laughs) Anyway, my mom soon followed after. A couple of years later, she had an injury and also needed a knee replacement. She's like, well, now there's two of us. That makes us a gang. We're the Crips. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so they they go on nightly walks. And so he'd say like, all right, let's go out and, you know, patrol our territory, look for some bloods. (laughs) Like he really takes it to the extreme. (laughs) But I mean, they have fun with it, even I though they were both that. really upset about being forced into retirement. You know, it's just a part of who they are now. Nice. <laughs> I love I love the ownership of that. Uh, Colin, yeah, I I uh, really really it, I struggled with coming to terms with what a crip walk actually meant because I thought that was like walking with a limp and everything. You know, <laughs> naivety of youth, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> But no, that's actually like refers to the gang, the Crips. And I didn't know that either. So like, I, yeah. you know, I, I, I really want to like dive into the history of like how they came up with their gang name and everything. Because yeah. like, is it solitude with the disabled? Because I mean, that's <laughs> kind of cool in a like way, I to doubt put it, a but positive, it would be awesome. way to put a positive spin on that, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know. But that's I guess maybe that's part of what makes Cribble more acceptable is that mm-hmm. you've seen you see Crip in a lot of contexts like I've seen Crip used as an as a abbreviation for Cripple but then you also have the Bloods of the Crips and that's you know that's in enough rap songs and movies and everything that you can argue it's it's a well-established cultural reference um, so maybe that makes that word more palatable to me because it's something I'm kind of exposed to already. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Um, in also, the... South Park episode. I mean, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> that did a lot to blur those lines. <laughs> um, in the show special, uh, which is very R-rated, by the way, but otherwise very good. Yeah, um, I love that show. Yeah, yeah. so they heard there's a group of disabled people and they call themselves the Crips yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know that's interesting too. Is the, the one character introduces himself? Oh yeah, I'm autistic, but just a touch. He doesn't say hi, functioning. See, that's a good way. <laughs> there there's go. your yeah. alternative. Just and then the other touch. guy says, "Well, I have CP, but just a touch too." <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, this has been an amazing conversation, and I hope you guys have enjoyed participating in this as well. And I would love to have you guys back and continue more conversations about the many different topics surrounding disability, disability awareness, accessibility, all of that. So I just want to thank you ladies for joining me today. And just, yeah, thank you so much. 
I appreciate you participating in this. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. And is there anything that you would maybe want your listeners to take away from today's conversation? Well, just circling back, you know, if you're not sure about something, ask. Mm-hmm. Um, usually we're willing to have a conversation on the subject. And, you know, I, I do agree with you. This book is a good starting resource. Uh, but again, um, also on the subject of reclaiming words, you don't need to be offended on our behalf if we use those words to describe ourselves. It's okay. And it's okay to laugh if you think it's funny. Um, yeah. You know, uh, sometimes that helps break down the barriers that um, sometimes prevent people from having constructive conversations like this. And ultimately, my goal is to facilitate more of those. Yeah. Um, intention matters would be the overarching message I would like people to get that if your intentions are good, all will be forgiven. Like, just take correction and understand. Yeah, there are politically correct ways to go about referring to things, but not everyone knows them and they're constantly changing. And not all autistic people want to be called autistic people. Some of them prefer autist. You know, not all disabled people hate the word cripple. So you really can't know until you develop a personal relationship with people. Absolutely. Very good. Well, Thank you again, ladies. Thank Thank you. you. It was fun. And now it's time for new releases. Here are a few titles we will be getting in this month. We get new books, movies, and audiobooks all month long, so be sure to check the website for when new titles are available. Adult Fiction The Island by Adrian McKinty Thrill of the Hunt by Rita Mae Brown The Lost Summers of Newport by Beatrice Williams. Young Adult, Book of the Night by Holly Black. Children's, Not So Small by Pat Zetlau Miller. Fly High, Lolo by Nikki Daly. And now it's time for a blog post. Our blog is updated weekly, so be sure to visit efplblog.blogspot.com to read the latest. Our Blogspot link can be found in the Linktree link in the episode description. This month's blog post is about gardening. Spring is here! Now that spring has officially arrived, it's time to start thinking about your gardens. Gardening is the practice of growing and cultivating plants. You may have a garden full of ornamental plants that contains flowers and other plants for their visual appearance, or a garden full of useful plants that you have planted with the purpose of eating. No matter what your preference, gardens are everywhere. Whether you are new to gardening or an old pro, you will find some great books in this week's post. We have a few picture books to share with the children in your lives, nonfiction gardening books, and cookbooks to help you use the fruits and vegetables in your garden. Here are a few of the titles we have, so be sure to stop in to check these titles out or go online and place a hold on one or all of them. To see the full list of books, visit our blog spot. Children's Picture Books In Our Garden 
by Pat Zetlau Miller. In the Garden by Emma Guliani. Thank You Garden by Liz Garten Scanlon. Nonfiction Gardening Books. Unearthing the Secret Garden by Marta McDowell. The Flower Powdered Garden by Andy Vernon. Container Gardening Complete by Jessica Walliser. Cookbooks. The Farmer's Daughter Bakes by Kelsey Siemens. Martha Stewart's Fruit Desserts by Martha Stewart. The Weekday Vegetarians by Jenny Rosenstretch. The Complete Summer Cookbook by America's Test Kitchen. Veggies and Fish by Bart Van Olfen. And now it's time for Discovery Kit of the Month. Be sure to stop in the library to check out this month's featured kit or any of our kits. You can also go online and add them to your holds list. Creek and Pond Life Kit. Get down and dirty as you take an up-close look at life that thrives in creeks and ponds by stopping in and checking out our Creek and Pond Life Kit. This kit includes catching nets, bug viewer, magnifying glass, pipettes, petri dishes, National Geographic's Ultimate Bugopedia by Darlene Murawski and Nancy Hanovich, and a pond life guide. How many bugs can you find and catch? Be sure to stop in or go online to place a hold on this or any of our other kits we have available. And now it's time for a library fun fact. Did you know that 95% of libraries offer summer reading and learning programs? Summer learning programs at the library set students up to succeed during the school year. Be sure you're following us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on our summer reading program for 2022. Here are some author quotes to help get you through the month. To go along with some of our displays, here are some author quotes about nature. Look deep into nature, and then you will understand everything better. Albert Einstein In nature, nothing is perfect, and everything is perfect. Trees can be contorted, bent in weird ways, and they're still beautiful. Alice Walker In the spring, at the end of the day, you should smell like dirt. Margaret Atwood from Bluebeard's Egg. Adopt the pace of nature. Her secret is patience. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Last but certainly not least, jokes of the month. Our resident joke tellers, Master Jokester Lee and Supreme Funny Man Ross, are back with new jokes that are certain to be knee slappers. Thank you for joining us again, Ross. I look forward to your jokes every month, so let's get to it. Okay, my first joke is, what do you call a guy who floats on water? I don't know. What do you call a guy that floats on water? Bob. Very good. Okay, next one. My second joke is, how can you tell when Dracula has a cold? I don't know. How can you tell when Dracula has a cold? You can hear his coughing. (laughs) Very good. Well, those were great. Thank you. And uh, before you leave us today, what have you been reading these days? I have been reading a book series called New Kid. It's 
a really good book. And the second one so far has been pretty good. Very good. Well, awesome. Thank you for joining us, and I can't wait to hear your jokes next month. Bye. Welcome back, Lee. I think we're all excited and ready for your jokes today. Take it away. Oh, and this first one, I bet it's going to be great. What happened at the silkworm race? I don't know. What happened at the silkworm race? It ended in a tie. A tie? No. That's a silkworm said. Number two, how did the bumblebee get to school? I don't know. How did the bumblebee get to school? It took the buzz. Oh, very good. Well, thank you so much for sharing these hilarious jokes, and I can't wait for next month. Before you leave us today, what have you been reading? Uh, so far, uh, I've been reading the Flat Stanley, Stanley Flat again. Very good. Well, thanks for sharing, and we'll see you next month. Bye. <laughs> And that'll do it for us today. To hear more on our disability awareness conversations, be sure to listen to our March episode when Laura and Misty first joined us and shared their experiences. Then stick around for the April episode when Jenny Brenler from Community Living Connections joined us to tell us about the organization. If you have the perfect joke you'd like to share, or if you have a budding comedian in your home that would like to share a joke or two, email us at eagerfree at ALS liv.wi.us. For more information on anything you've heard today, or if you're interested in an event, visit us at www.als.lib.wi.us slash EFPL. Or click on the Linktree link in the episode description to see all the places you can find EFPL online. From our Facebook page to our website, plus contact information. Thanks for checking us out. Author quotes provided by Goodreads. Jokes were from the book Laugh Out Loud Jokes to Tell Your Friends by Michael Dahl and is available for checkout at EFPL.